0: So 1 John chapter 2, today we're going to talk about stages of growth. Stages of growth. That's right. If you didn't know it, God wants you as a Christian to grow. Uh, you know, you probably had, how many of you had parents that told you, I wish you'd grow up? Anybody ever have that said to them? My parents said it an awful lot. I wish you'd grow up, you know. Now, here's the thing. As our children get older, it always seems like you, you now have parents going, oh, time slow down. No, when they get to be teenagers, you want it to speed up. Right Now, when they're little, yeah, you might want time to slow down. When they become teenagers, like, let's get this over with, hurry up. But you think about this, there are stages of growth. There are certain things that go on within our lives, and we need to be growing. Now, I remember when we would take our kids to the doctor, there were certain things that they wanted to see, certain developments that they wanted to see in our children that they were growing. The first thing, I remember them showing up and showing us the growth chart. You know, you wanted to know where your baby sat in height and weight. Y'all remember that? And they put you on a scale, and oh, your child is in the tenth percentile. Uh, My son sometimes was in the ninetieth percentile. He was a chunker, you know, when he was growing up. So, uh, but they were like, yeah, they're in they're in this percentile or they're in that percentile, and uh, and so it's always funny. We want to see where they're at on the growth chart because we want to see where they're going or where we think they might be later on. Because most dads are like, well, I hope my kids are taller than me. You know, we want certain. Things. So we, we see that there's a growth chart. Then we want to see their cognitive development. We want to see what skills they have and how they can put things together and how they work mentally. And then there is speech development. I, you know, I didn't even realize how important that was, but they want to know that your kids can talk and carry on communication and, and they know certain words and certain things. And then there are motor skills. They want to make sure that your kids can actually do what they need to do, that they can actually function The way they need to function. And then finally, their social and emotional skills. In other words, they want to know that they can function with other groups. Uh, That as they begin to do these skills, that they can understand how to make friends. You know, I used to always tell my kids, in order to make friends, you got to be a friend. And so they want to know these developments. They want to see a child grow. And the truth is, is God wants to see his children grow as well. He wants to see you develop as well. He wants to see you moving through the paces of stages of growth. And that's what John talks about here in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 12. And we're going to see that the first stage of growing Christians are the baby Christians. That's right, the baby Christians. Beginning in verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. At the end of verse 13, he says this, I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. So he's talking to the little children, the baby Christians, those that are in the lower stage of growth, those that may have just come to know Jesus Christ, maybe those that have come to know Jesus Christ. And there, are, let's be honest, there are some people that have been in church for 40, 50 years that are still baby Christians. There are some that still haven't moved beyond that stage. Now you think about it, if our children weren't growing according to the stages they needed to be growing at, we'd be looking at the parents as though they were, what, they were mistreating their children. The children were malnourished, or the children weren't, you know, something, the parents are doing something wrong. Now you've got to think about that in your spiritual journey. What's going on? Why aren't they proceeding? Why aren't they growing? But he says this, he tells them that they've got two fundamentals. They understand that they've been forgiven. Oh, what a blessing, isn't it nice to know that you are forgiven of your sins? We used a passage earlier, but look at verse John 1-7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Man, it is a joy and a blessing to know that we are forgiven. It is a blessing to know that Jesus Christ has cleansed us of our sins. But let's understand that that's just the first point of our salvation. Our salvation ought to go beyond that. It ought to be more than that. But we need to rejoice in the fact that we have been forgiven. In fact, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, Luke says it this way, or Jesus says it here there, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Paul says it this way. He says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Understand you're forgiven. Understand that you're cleansed. Understand that you've been changed. Understand that you've been redeemed. He says you need to understand those facts, but then you need to live in that truth. Live in the fact that you're forgiven. If that means you're forgiven, that means don't go back to it. Live in that relationship with Jesus Christ that you have once been forgiven for. But he goes on. and I love this. Because you might miss this if you're not careful. He says your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. You, you miss that. A lot of people miss that part. But you've got to understand that God does everything for his glory. In Psalm 25 and verse 11 he says, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity for it is great. For thy name's sake, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, heal me. In Psalm 79, verses 8 and 9, the psalmist says there, O remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Let me tell you something. God is greatly glorified in the cleansing and forgiving of lost sinners. He is so glorified in that fact that he states it twice in the Psalms. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. It is through the abundance of his grace. Can I tell you something? The very fact that any of us are forgiven is an unbelievable reality. That God would cleanse us of our sins. That God could forgive us for everything where we've messed up. That is an amazing reality to live in. That we are forgiven. Now here's the thing, I'll be honest with you. One of the hardest, hardest things to deal with when it comes to forgiveness is learning to forgive yourself. Usually we're the last ones to forgive ourselves for the mistakes we've made. But here's something you need to understand. If God has forgiven you, you have no right to hold on to it. None. If God has cleansed you of that sin, if God has forgiven you, if he's left it in the past, then that's where you need to leave it. It's done. It's dead. It's buried. It's over. Forgiveness has been made. And as baby Christians, we ought to live in the reality that our forgiveness has been paid for and it's been paid in full. And it's for his namesake. But the second reality, he writes to baby Christians, he says in verse 13 at the end, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. What a blessing, a simple knowledge of God, isn't it? I love John chapter 10, where he talks about the good shepherd. But in John 10, in verse 4, he says this, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. If you're a Christian, you know the voice of God. Can I tell you something? Here's what you know about the voice of God. The voice of God will never lead you astray. The voice of God will never lead you down the wrong path. The voice of God will never lead you into sin. The voice of God will never, ever contradict the word of God. The voice of God will constantly lead you into the things of God. The voice of God will cause you to serve the church of God. The voice of God will call you to win the lost to Jesus Christ. The voice of God will lead you in so many ways. And as young Christians, you need to know the voice If you know the Father, you're going to know the voice. You're going to know how He speaks. You're going to know what He wants from you. You're going to know what He wants you to do. You're going to know these things because you know the Father and you know His voice. And in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of them. Isn't it amazing that God says you can have a personal relationship with Him? The creator of the universe, the one who created every person, wants a personal relationship relationship with you you can know the father here's the amazing thing God has given us his word that we might know him now I'll be honest with you you don't read it because you don't want to know him but if you read it it's because you want to know him it's that simple oftentimes people say well I don't know what God wants for my life when was the last time you picked up his book I don't know what God's will is for me. Well, when was the last time you checked his book? God speaks, God moves, you ought to know him. As baby Christians, these are simple facts that we know God and we know that we have forgiveness. Now, here's the amazing thing is that he says, you know the Father. Isn't it amazing? He says, you have that intimate relationship with God Almighty. Romans 8, 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba father the spirit of adoption in fact Galatians 4 6 tells us we're called the sons of God we can cry out to him Abba father we have a personal knowledge that we have a name that we can cry out to God and we know him that's amazing when you think about the fact that you can call God your father and it's not blasphemous There's that relationship, that intimate relationship. As a baby Christian, you know these things, that God is close and God is near, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But as baby Christians, these are two facts that we can stand on, is that we know God, we know the Father, and not only that, but we know we are forgiven. But I want you to understand, God wants so much more from you. God doesn't want you to remain a baby Christian. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, listen to this. This is strong. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. God says, you got to move on. You got to start consuming the meat of God's word. Don't rest in the small things that you know. Continue to carry on and grow in your faith. God wants you to be different, Christian. He wants you to move past the baby stage. He wants you to stop drinking the milk of the Word, and He wants you to move on to the tougher passages and learn more about who He is. God wants you to move beyond the stage you're at. Here's the thing. You may say, well, brother, I find that I'm in the next stage. Well, praise God. Keep moving. Keep moving. As long as you've got breath, we ought to be growing. There's never a point you come to where you go, I have made it. Because once that stage happens is the moment you're gone. If you've made it, he's just going to take you on. I want to grow. I want to keep growing. I want to keep learning from the Word of God. I want to be more than a baby Christian. Let's look at the second stage of growth. The second stage he talks about are the mature Christians. Look at the beginning of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Guess what? He just makes the same statement to the fathers. He digs in deep. You've known him. Now, here's the thing. You've got to think. He just talked to the baby Christians, the little children, because you've known the father. But look at the difference. He says, you have known him that is from the beginning. In other words, your knowledge of God is much deeper. You don't just know God, you know the truths and the doctrines and the theology about God. You have dug in deep into the Word of God so that you know God in such a personal way. You know the characteristics of God. You've known Him from the beginning. In other words, the idea is like Psalm 90 and verse 2 where Moses writes there that He's known from of old. Known from of old. He's been from the beginning. In fact, in John 1, 1, when we think about Jesus Christ, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was with him from the beginning. He's always been. He's always existed. He's the uncreated one. He's always been. John 8, 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. They understood exactly what he was saying there. He was declaring that he was infinite like God Almighty. Revelation one, 1, he, said, 1 8, he says there, he says, I'm the beginning and the, and the alpha and the omega. And from the beginning, I've always been. Here's the truth, I'll be honest with you. When you start out as a baby Christian, we don't teach you about the Trinity. <laughs> you know, it's one of those doctrines that's a bit tough to understand, a bit tough to grasp. But as we mature, we learn more about God and we want more of God. We want to have a, a deeper relationship We want to get deeper into understanding who God is, how he functions, and what he wants from us within our lives. So we dig in deep into the truths of Scripture. We want to know more. But he says, you've known him. In the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says it this way. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Listen to what he says there. I want you to look at these three things. Know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, I know he's risen. And I know one day I'm going to rise too. I know the resurrection is real. I don't ever fear. I don't ever doubt. You can go to Israel, and guess what you'll find in the tomb? It's still empty. It will remain empty, and there will never be a body found because it's not here. It's gone. He's resurrected, and because of that truth, I know that you and I, if we're believers in Christ, we shall rise also. I am in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. As a Christian, I'm willing to suffer. As a Christian, I'm willing—in fact, I ought to assume that because I know Christ, suffering is on its way. All true believers will go through tribulations and persecution for the cause of Christ. Timothy, Paul writes that statement to him, and he tells him, he says, you got to know that you're going to be persecuted if you're a follower of Christ. Here's the thing, if you're not persecuted, then how do you know you're following If you're not strong enough to stand up against the world and the things this world brings against you because of Christ, how do you know you're His? He says here, He says, the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. Here's the thing we recognize as Christians, we're ready to go all the way. We're ready to go all the way. You say, Well, what do you mean by that? We're ready to go all the way. Well, it's real simple. We understood Jesus' statement to His disciples, and it's a statement He makes to us. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That means, if that means if I've got to go die on a hill for Jesus Christ, I'm ready to go die on that hill. If God wants to take my life and make, and basically take it away from this world and bring it on into the next, I'm willing. I want to be like Paul. To live is Christ and to die is gain. As a mature Christian, here's the thing. You're not worried about death. A mature Christian says, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to go. God, you want to take me anytime, I'm ready to go. But until I go, I'm going to serve you. Until I go, I've got things I got to do. Until I go, there is more to be had. I'm not done yet. Mature Christians, you gotta understand there's a couple of things that make us mature, things that we need. The first thing that we need as a mature Christian is the Word of God. Listen to 2 Timothy 2:15. Study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved. Let me tell you something. A mature Christian isn't going to pick up the Bible, read it, and go, I just don't get it. They're going to dig in. They're going to study it. They're going to study it until they show themselves approved. They're going to read and read and read until they understand it. They're not going to set it aside and go, well, I just don't get it. A mature Christian is going to say, you know what? I'm going to dig in deep. And here's the thing. He says, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, I'm not going to make Scripture say what I want it to say. I'm going to find out what God intended for it to say. The problem in the church today is we make God's word say what we want it to say. We read a passage of Scripture, we go, oh, yeah, I know what that means. Let me tell you something. I understand we want to know how it applies to us today but I want to know why the author wrote it back then. I want to understand the true intentions behind it. The problem is, as many of us treat the Bible like it's an impressionist painting. You know what that means? You can just go in, you can look at a picture, and you can, you can just decide what you think it says. That's not what the Bible was intended for. The Bible is a work of art. And the artist that wrote that work of art has a purpose and a pur- and an intention behind it. And you need to understand why God wrote it the way he wrote it so that we don't, tear it apart and use it for our own gain so that we rightly divide it and show ourselves approved. A mature Christian loves the Word of God. He also loves the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed in the same image of glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, God, change me. Uh, have you ever just cried that out to God? Just change me. Just take this dirty, rotten, filthy sinner and change me. Lord, change the way I live. Change the way I think. Change the way I speak. Change the way I live. Change everything about me so that I don't look like that old person I once looked like, so that I begin to look like you. Oh, God, change me. Mature Christians, understand we've not yet arrived. We've got a ways to go. But, man, we want to be changed more into the glory of Jesus Christ so that when people see us, they can know who we stand for. They can know who we walk for. They can know these things about us. Man, this is what it means to be a mature Christian, or as he calls it, a father. 2 Peter three eighteen. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow. God wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to stay stagnant. He doesn't want you to remain a babe. He doesn't want you to keep going through the same problems. He wants you to grow. He wants you to change. He wants you to be more like Him. I'd say many in the church fall into this third stage. They are the maturing Christians. In the middle of verse 13 and 14, he says this, I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I've written unto you, verse 14, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. Both of them kind of say the same thing. One adds a little bit more to it. You've overcome the wicked one. In other words, you understand that we're in a different kind of battle, don't you? We're not in a battle of flesh and blood. Second Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 tells us this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Casting down imaginations. In other words, casting down arguments. The idea here is we understand who wants to divide the church, don't we? Satan wants to slip into the church and divide it so desperately. He'll begin by trying to go in through the leadership. If he can't get in through the leadership, he'll then try to go through families. He'll try to destroy and tear them apart. He'll try to make division to where husband and wife are divided amongst one another, and then they want the church to choose which side they want to be on. They cause he wants to come in. And here's the thing it's for casting down arguments. We understand we're not fighting against flesh and blood, we don't fight against one another. The arguments that we have, they shouldn't take place. Why? Because we need to understand who's trying to bring the arguments in the first place, and it is Satan. He's trying to destroy. He's trying to defy. So we understand we don't walk in flesh, but we're warring against this enemy, and we're casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, we will not let him in. We won't do it. And when it comes to your family, take a stand. You are not getting into my family. You will not divide us. You will not tear us apart. You will not tear apart the church. You cannot win. We will not give you a foothold. You got to cast it down. Don't let him in. Don't give him a foot because he'll take a mile. We got to understand that our battle is not against one another. He says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Oh, man, God wants you to understand that we're in a battle. In fact, in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, he says this, I say to them, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Let me tell you something. Satan wants to destroy you individually. He wants to take you down a road. Here's the thing about sin. Sin will take you further than you want to go, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin wants to take you down. Satan wants to destroy your life. And let me tell you, when you give in to his temptations, and you give in to the pleasures of the flesh, and you give in to the things that you want, you're just giving him a foothold in your life. He says, battle those things. And what he said to the young men is, you understand, you've overcome them. You've overcome them. Why? You've overcome them because you know where the battle is. You know who's fighting for you and who's fighting with you. And you know who can help you overcome. You're not fighting in the flesh. You're fighting in the spirit. In Ephesians 6, Paul says it there as well. In verses 11 and 12, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, you better armor up every day, every day. Because I'm here to tell you, Satan is never going to rest. He's never going to take a break. He's never on vacation. He has nothing to the, uh, but destroy you. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And all you got to do is just give him an inch. Just give him a little bit. Deal battle. Overcome him. But look at what he says. I've written to you, young men, verse 14, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. You want to know how to overcome the wicked one. You want to know how to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It all comes back to the word of God. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he'll keep my words. And my Father will love him and we'll come unto him and make our abode with him. Amen. Keep my words. We're to love the Word of God. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 13 to 16. Look at what it says. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God under a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You want to know why you study the Word of God? Verse 14 tells us there. So that we're not tossed around by every whimsical doctrine. Can I tell you, man, there are a lot of false teachers out there. There are a lot of unbiblical prophets, as they call themselves. If they stray from the Word, you cast them aside. If they stay in the Word, then you know you're in good shape. The truth of the matter is, somebody told me one time, He said, man, you sure do use a lot of Scripture. Well, if Scripture doesn't back up Scripture, we're in trouble. I'd rather have too much Scripture than not enough. I'd rather God's Word go out because it won't come back void, but mine will. So when you think about this, God's Word is is so that we aren't cast aside by all these doctrines. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, I love these verses. All Scripture, get that, all Scripture. Let me say that again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now watch this. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The idea of being perfect is actually being made complete. If you want to be made complete, get into the Word of God. As Christians, if you notice, if you notice, every one of the Christians had to have the Word of God from babe to maturing to the mature. Every one of them needs to be in the Word of God. Why? Because this is our foundation. John writes in 2 John in verse 9, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. That word transgresseth there means one who goes too far. One who goes too far with the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 4.16 better explains this, or four six. First 1 Corinthians 4.6 says this, And these things, brethren, I have figured, transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. That you might learn from us not to think of men above that which is written. No man supersedes the Word of God. Amen. No man. Amen. This is the final authority, and maturing Christians understand that God's Word is essential. Man, we need to be growing. And I'm here to tell you, you may say, Well, Brother John, I don't know where to start. How do I start reading the Bible? Well, don't start Genesis 1-1. I know everybody thinks i got to start from the beginning. Don't start there. Start John 1-1. Start in a book that's a little bit easier to understand and grasp. Because I don't want you to get to Leviticus and quit. You can start in John and just keep going. You'll be fine. But you start in Genesis, get to Leviticus, you might quit too early. Now, I understand Leviticus. Please, Leviticus is a great book. It really is. Especially if you read it alongside of Hebrews. But you see, the Word of God is essential, and I don't want you to get caught up, and I want you to read, and I want you to study. and Get you a study Bible. Get you somebody that understands it. Ask questions. Do whatever it takes, but get in the Word so that you're growing. That is essential to your faith. If you're only dining on the Word of God when you come to church, you're in great trouble. Imagine if you only ate three times a week. You'd starve to death. Don't feast spiritually three times a week. Read it every day. Read it for yourself. Understand it. Grasp it. Live it. Hold on to the Word of God. But be growing. Please be growing. My question for you this morning, what stage are you in? Where are you at in your faith? Now, to be honest with you, there may be some of you in here today that would say, I'm not at any of those stages. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, if that's true, we can settle that right here, right now. Our deacons and our staff will be up front. They'll be happy to share with you how to have that relationship with Christ. But you may say, well, I'm that baby Christian. I'm not really grown much. Then get yourself alongside a maturing Christian to help you grow. Find somebody that's going to lift you up and help you and get into the Word of God and start studying. You may say, well, I'm in that maturing Christian category. Well, that's great. You still need to be growing too. Dig in deep. Dig in deeper than you've ever dug in before. Find a place to serve. Get involved. Be used for the glory of God. Don't just sit back and let everybody else do the service. Get in there and get to work. You may say, well, I'm one of those mature Christians. Can I tell you, being a mature Christian isn't based on your age. It's based on your maturity in Christ. You're a father not based on your age. It's based on your maturity in Christ. And a mature Christian is never going to sit back and say, I've done my time. No, they're not. You've just slipped into baby mode when you did that. And mature Christian is going to say, what can I do next? How can I grow next? How can I serve better? How can I do more for the glory of God? Because I know that the time is drawing near and we've got too much to do for me to sit down on the sidelines. What stage are you in? Here's the truth. All I'm asking, start progressing. Start progressing in your faith. That's what John wanted. Start progressing and moving forward. Stop going backwards. We're living in a day and age right now where Christians are going backwards. They're using everything as an excuse. They keep going backwards in their faith. They keep going back to who they used to be. They stopped reading the Bible. They've stopped serving. They've stopped doing. Don't go backwards. If you've been going backwards, if you've been sliding that way, just go ahead and stand up today and say, you know what, I'm not going backwards any longer. I'm moving forward. It's time to get back on the right track, and it's time for me to start growing again. That's what we need. We need Christians who are going to stand up, step out, and serve and do what God has called them to do. And I promise you, when that happens, man, we're going to change this community. We're going to see God move in such a way like we've never seen before. Are you growing? Are you moving? Are you serving?